Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good. Well, thanks, Don, for that, that word. That's, that's so powerful. Um, and just me being here, I've noticed just the unity you guys had and just this loving community and um, this really making me feel, feel welcome. And it's feel, it feels like I've been here for, for years, but it's only, well, it's my fourth Sunday. So, so thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm, I'm Andrew. I go to Vanguard, and I have the privilege of uh, working alongside Pastor Micah and, and Lee. And yeah, it's, it's just been so, so great here so far. So we are starting a new series. Uh, Micah spent a lot of time designing it, so, so I hope you guys like it. And this, the book we'll be exploring is Hebrews. And Hebrews is such a glorious book. We see really how Jesus is exalted. He's, he's magnified. But we also see the faithfulness of God. These, all of these rich Old Testament promises weren't just lip service, but Jesus actually fulfilled all of these Old Testament promises. So I have a question for you guys. Who knows what goat means? Well, I guess, I guess it's on the screen, so. <laughs> I, I guess we blew that one, but. Uh, so, so a good example, a good example of this would be like Wayne Gretzky or Connor, Connor McDavid. So me and my dad used to have a discourse on, well, I, I thought Connor Mc, uh, McDavid was greater than Wayne Gretzky, but it's, uh, it's different eras, so it's hard to compare. Um, but since I'm in Bible college, we might think about uh, theologians. Who's the greatest theologian? Is it, you know, John Calvin, or is it St. Augustine? Or uh, some people might know uh, N.T. Wright. Um, <laughs> Micah loves that one, so. But... We, we celebrate people who we value, but how much do we celebrate the greatest person to ever walk this earth in Jesus? How much time and energy do we spend celebrating the greatness of Jesus? And I know I, I struggle with this uh, daily. Uh, my view of Jesus can be low sometimes, and, and this is a problem we all face. No matter where we are in this, this walk of life, whether you're a new Christian or a seasoned veteran, um, we always can, can have this greater view of Jesus and who he is and his beauty. And um, what could be better than, than studying Jesus? So this is kind of where we're going this for the rest of the summer with this series in, in Hebrews. So a quick story. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, going to Sunday school, going to youth, going to summer camp. So, so I thought I knew everything there was to, uh, about Jesus. But when I went to Bible college, I was in for a rude awakening. There was just so much that I didn't know. And I'm... Um, in my second year, the, the former president, president Eric Dirksen, he, he gave me this book uh, called Knowledge of the Holy. 
by, by A.W. Tozer. And it was actually quite profound. And the spirit working through that book really kind of acted as a catalyst for, for my studying of, of Jesus and, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and, and how beautiful they are. Um, but the more we reflect on Jesus and his person and work, the more we fall deeply in love with him. So this is where I want to take us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or swipe to Hebrews. Uh, it is after Philemon and before James. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. You'll have to turn back a little bit. So as any good Bible college student, we have to know a little bit of context about Hebrews. Now scholars, scholars are divided on who actually wrote Hebrews. There's been many theories given like Paul or Cephas or Peter, but, but at the end of the day, we, we aren't sure who wrote it, but we still know it's divinely inspired. All of scripture is God-breathed, and when we read it, it's, it's God speaking to us today. Um, Hebrews was written so the original audience would be primarily Jewish Christians. And they were at risk of um, reverting back to their old ways of Judaism. That's why we have these great exhortations in Hebrews, but then warnings not to turn away. But um, we really, in these first four verses, is, is kind of the big thesis of all the big themes of Christ's greatness, and these themes get unpacked throughout uh, the Sermon of Hebrews. I like calling it a sermon because if you read it out loud, it takes about 40 minutes. So let's, uh, let's jump into the text. So I'm reading from the NIV version. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So we're going to break, break down the passage kind of uh, verse by verse. I will not have time to really unpack all these themes, otherwise we'll be here for hours and hours, and I know you guys have stuff to do. Um, but we, we are briefly going to highlight some of Jesus' beautiful characteristics, um, which truly show why he is the greatest, that he is the greatest person of all time greatest God. So the first phrase I want to look at, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now here we see the big idea or picture that God 
speaks. He spoke to the people of God in the Old Testament, and he continues to speak to us today. It, it is quite profound. Every time we read the Bible, it's God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. But there is this dynamic relationship between the Old and the New Testament. Now, the phrase through the prophets is, is an important phrase to highlight. When we look at the Old Testament, uh, we, we know there was various prophets that God used to speak to his people. So my question to you are, who are your, some of your favorite prophets? Ezekiel. You like Ezekiel. Nice. Daniel. Daniel. Awesome. Anyone else? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah, mine... My, my favorite prophet is Isaiah, so I was hoping you guys would say that, but, but there's, there's, there's very many prophets. But this phrase, to the prophets, to the original audience, is, uh, is actually talking about the whole Old Testament, not just the verbal speakings of, of the prophets. It's actually the whole Old Testament, which, which points to Christ. Christ. And now... The next phrase I want to highlight is in various ways. So we see God spoke in, in multiple different ways, like to, to Nebuchadnezzar riding on the wall, or in, on, on Mount Sinai with his glorious presence on top of Sinai. He spoke through angels. But the greatest way he speaks is in his son and through his ministry and his work. And if we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. And this is what the whole Old Testament points towards. And onto the future is, is Jesus, his person, his work. This is why he is so glorious and the greatest of all time. Now this phrase, the last days, is also very important. As God's, um, this phrase is referring to God's saving promises being fulfilled by Christ. This has been done by his son. Um, but here we see the climax of the story. All of God's promises climax in his son. So they do become a yes and amen. No further revelation is needed as Christ has fulfilled um, some of these themes like, like the temple. We see the garden temple in Eden, which then moved to Sinai and then to the tabernacle and then the temple and then us today. So because of Christ, we, we see that progression. But we also see the new exodus from, from, from the Old Testament, being delivered from Egypt through the sea to Mount Sinai. Now us today being delivered through sin to Mount Zion. So these are just some of these, these, these glorious themes that are threaded from Genesis to Revelation. And they culminate in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises and plan of redemption. Now, we understand that God speaks 
but only Jesus can truly reveal who God is. And this leads us to the following statements about Jesus' supreme characteristics. So this is shown in uh, verses 2b through verse 4. Jesus is supreme, and he is the greatest of all time. So now we're going to explore these seven characteristics. So the first phrase we, we have is he... Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. Jesus the inheritor. Could you flip the, uh, the slide? There it is. So it took us many hours to think of titles for these... Uh, no, not really. Just a couple of minutes, but of, of brainstorming. Uh, so the first phrase, Jesus the inheritor. So this is pointing to whom he appointed heir of all things. So when you think of being an heir, what do you think of? Well, what the writer of Hebrews is inferring to is, is inheritance. Now, inheritance is when someone receives everything their parents own. And in the Old Testament, we see two connections here. Uh, the first being the Mosaic Covenant of the Promised Land. But primarily in this context, it's referring to the, uh, the promise of the Davidic Covenant, um, which is mentioned in 2 Samuel 7.16, which says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. So this is saying Jesus fulfilled that promise because he's the king who reigns forever. So here we see how God's promises through his speaking applies to Christ and his work. Christ is the fulfillment. Now, Christ's inheritance is, is not just the earth, but it includes all of creation, all of the cosmos. Does, not, does that not make you want to praise him and worship him, and exalt him as the Lord of all. And what is great is if we put our faith in Christ, we become co-heirs with Christ and are adopted as sons and daughters. So we'll go on to the, the second phrase, Jesus the creator. And this applies to, and through him made the universe. Here we see Jesus as an agent in creation. The main verse that highlights this theme of creator is found in John uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Through him all things were made that have been made. What's, what's critical to understanding Jesus and his status of creator is how he is God as well. So this highlights his preexistence. Before the foundations of the world, he was there when the world was formless and void with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Surely, if he is able to subdue the chaos of the formless void in Genesis 1, he can definitely do that in our lives today. He has an active hand. And this gives us great confidence in the supremacy of Jesus. So we, we have five more to go. So it's just, we're really seeing Jesus and his greatness. So, so the third, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So this one wasn't as creative, but <laughs> pretty much summed the verse up. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. 
So the, so the word radiance is the first word I want to focus on. Now, what does it mean when something is radiant? Now, now let's think about it like this. When we look at the sun as it rises, is that not a glorious sight? Those beams that just pierce through the darkness. Now, now this image doesn't give justice to, to Jesus' beauty and glory, but, but I just love that picture, and, and some commentators brought it up. But, but this is Jesus' work. He brings us out of that darkness into light so we can have life. And, and there's this quote I found that says, like how the light of the sun gives life and energy to the earth, so Jesus does that by shining in our hearts. So this is what knowing Jesus does, right? We, we get this life, and life in the full. And now radiance is also talking about his eternal status. So we, so we kind of saw that in, in the last one with Jesus as creator. But it ties into the next term of glory. So the next word I want us to think about and dwell on is glory. And this... And the main meaning of glory here is, is his presence. So the audience of Hebrews would think back to Mount Sinai, where God first manifested himself in his glory, then in the Ark of the Covenant. But for us, we have this now inside of us because of, of Pentecost. And again, we see this theme of Christ fulfilling the Old Testament promises. And finally, glory uh, represents how he reveals himself. When you glorify something, what do you do with it? You praise it and give it worth and value. You may even show it off. And this transitions us into, into the next section. So in Christ, the majesty of God's glory is seen in its fullness. Can I get an Amen. That's good. You guys haven't fallen asleep yet, so that's good. <laughs> so now we're at the fourth, the fourth title. Jesus displays the Father. And this ties into the exact representation of his being. So the image that the author is intending, or in the Greek that it's trying to translate, is like that one of a stamp which, which engraves an image vividly, or like on a coin stamp. So what this means is um, Jesus represents the Father perfectly, so they have the same nature. Jesus is God, but he is distinct in his person and work. And this is the best news, because from understanding God the Father and his nature, he is invisible. While his works are on display in creation... And he's everywhere through his omnipresence. The only way we get to know him is through Jesus. So Jesus makes what is invisible, visible. So this is so glorious. And John uh, 14, 9 really highlights this well. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, 
Show us the Father. So this, this, is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We gain access to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by Christ after we put our faith in him. Nothing is hidden from us because Jesus reveals God the Father fully. And this further highlights why he is the goat, the greatest of all time. And that's the power of the gospel. So now we got uh, the fifth statement, and it's Jesus the sustainer. So Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. like, Like how awesome is that? The God who we serve is not a dead God. He is not a wooden statue, but he is this living God who is active in the world. He sustains the world. But this also highlights how we as humans are dependent on Jesus for life. He provides life and life in the full. Without him, there is no life. We're left in darkness. And we have this longing which we try to fill with various things. But it only can be fulfilled by Jesus. And the last theme I want to highlight from this verse is is the word of his power. And this is an important one because it ties into his reign as king. And this, this statement is talking about God's divine will. And it will come to pass, and nothing will stop it. He has the power and authority to complete it. So we see that in the Old Testament, Jesus conquered sin and death. So we're in this tension of the already, not yet. So we're waiting for his second coming. And there's nothing saint can do that, that can stop that. So this is, this is the hope that we have. And the nations rage against the Lord and his anointing. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 2 is, is another key, key text. But God laughs. He's sovereign over this. Even though there is uncertainty in the world, he holds the world in his hand and is actively present, sustaining it. Is that not awesome? Now we're on the sixth, sixth statement. Jesus the Savior, how beautiful. So this is uh, pointing towards after he provided purification for sins. Now why was purification needed? Well, from the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice that was needed through, through the tabernacle cultus um, so the Israelites could cleanse themselves when they had sinned. And they had to do this daily. And that was the high priest's job too. Now, the blood is what's important. The blood that was shed has this symbolic value. It has, has this cleansing effect, this purifying effect. And This theme is brought up later in Hebrews, but I wanted to highlight it now. And it's found in Hebrews 9.22. It says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this is brought up also in Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we we have this sinful condition. As, As humans... We glorify ourselves and not God. And because of this, we have this guilt 
and shame. But the gospel is that Jesus gives us shalom through his, through his sacrifice, meaning we are at peace with God. We aren't at war with him anymore. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are no longer enemies, but co-heirs with Christ. We get a reign with Christ in the end of days. And now this ties back into that theme that we mentioned first of, of inheritor, right? We, we share in his inheritance because of Christ's work. Now, no one else would have been able to do such a task. Even if one human was able to do it, obey the law in full, the provision of atonement would only be made for one other person, for a one-for-one. But Jesus, being infinite as he is God and human, enables his sacrifice on the cross to actually cover all sins in the past, present, and future. So this is, this is the gospel. And now we're going to move on to, to the last statement of highlighting Jesus and his awesomeness and his glory. Jesus has authority. Um, and this, this statement is, is kind of like the finale to, to everything else that came before it. And I want us to explore, explore this image of, of God as, as king, God as ruler of all. The image of the right hand tells us a few things about Christ. So first, we, we have his power. He is the arm of the Lord. And this is used throughout Isaiah to show his action in history. He's always been intervening in history. He is the God of history. He's the right arm of God. The right hand. But we also see his triumph. He has the power to deliver. It's not just giving it lip service. But no, he can accomplish it through his power. They're not empty promises. And third, we see his, his protection. We, we are shaded in, in his arm, right? We can come to him for protection. But him being seated at the right hand represents how he accomplished the task of redemption. We are still waiting for his return, but he had made provision for those who had put their faith in him. Now he's seated at the right hand, exalted, brought to the highest place, and is always interceding for believers as our great high priest. His exaltation is another big motif which we see through, through Scripture, and this ties into his reign and rule, this idea of kingship. And that's why it kind of encapsulates all the other statements. So aren't those seven statements powerful, church? But now we, we still have one, one verse to deal with here. Um, now, if you saw an angel, would you be astonished? I'd probably be scared. Because <laughs> the angels that show up, they're like, do not be afraid right away. But from this final verse, we actually see how Jesus is greater than the angels. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So the name that was given to angels 
was, was messengers. They were messengers. They had a big role to play in God's plan as they continued to help the people of God throughout the Old Testament and into the New. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews mentions it because some of the original audience may have been thinking Jesus was the same as the angels. Like, what's the difference? But he, in fact, is much superior. But how do we know this? Well, it, it tells us. The name he inherits is that of son. Remember how we, we talked about inheritance already? This language is used to highlight the intimacy of, of God. He is not impersonal, but personal. He's a personal God. Christ is the Lord of all. He is better, more powerful, more supreme than any other being, and he deserves to be praised because of this. This is our God. So after looking at all the riches which are found in these verses, I want us to reflect a little bit, have, have some self-reflection, and let's, let's wrestle together. What is holding us back or preventing us from seeing Jesus as he truly is? So in my life, there are times where I can make Jesus, and sometimes I view Jesus in in a matter that is not pleasing to him, seeing him and making him into what he is not. But what we have in Scripture is how he has chosen to reveal himself through his, his different attributes. Scripture is authoritative. But we could even take this one step further. Do we treat him like a vending machine? We, we say these prayers with a list and then say goodbye right away. I'm... I'm guilty of doing this, right? But he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants, he wants to converse with us, right? He's a relational God. But how much more is he? He is our Lord and Savior. And now this fits into another framework, which I've heard from time to time, and it's uh, saying that Jesus is our, our homeboy, so to speak. Well, yes, he is our friend, but where is the reverence? This is the holy, majestic, glorious God. And, and it hurts me to hear stuff like that. He is the ruler of all heavens and earth. Yes, he is our friend, but he is our Lord as well, right? So we need to give him glory and honor. And an attitude like this leads to lack of reverence, which then leads to drifting away. So this is kind of a big, big theme in Hebrews. There's these glorious promises, but then we have warnings right after not to drift away. Like in Hebrews 2.3, it says, How can we forget such a great salvation? This great salvation is Christ and his personhood and work on our behalf. Now some may have a hard time seeing Jesus who he is because of a poor spiritual life. As, as Don, Don mentioned earlier, we, we may not be seeking him out in the scriptures, right? And, and we all struggle with this at times. There's times where I don't feel like doing my devotions or feel like reading the Bible. But there's just so much 
in there, right, that, that points to Jesus and points to his glory and, right, because the Bible reveals who he is and his plan and purpose. And, and this is what nourishes us. It's the bread. It's the daily bread that we need. But the final mindset may be, do we see Jesus like a ticket or means just the heaven? And there are so many times where I hear people talk about it. Yes, heaven is awesome, of course. But it's just a small part of the gospel. The gospel is actually the person and work of Christ. So we get to be in relationship with the God of all, right? And he's the God of the universe. But don't get me wrong, heaven is definitely awesome. That's, that's this future hope that we look forward to. And, but God's plan has always been to dwell with his people. And this is what brings us true lasting joy. Um, and, and this quote that says, we need to praise him first for who he is and then for what he's done, right? Now, it's okay if you fall into one of these categories because we, we all fall, fall short at times. And Romans 8.1 tells us, for there are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, yes, we may stumble and turn away just like the Israelites did as we are the new Israel and we continue to turn away and be disobedient time and time again. But this does not mean God doesn't love us any less. He wants us to come back to him, and he's waiting with open arms. Come back to me. Now, there's, there's one final, final illustration I, I want to use that highlights my point of, of um, intimacy and getting to know Jesus. In my life, getting to know my fiancé has has been so great. But that only comes from knowing things about her, like I'm learning things about her every day. And I'm sure in, in your relationships, in your marriages, the more you get to know someone, right, the more you fall in love with them. So we can take this concept with Jesus. The more we spend time with him in prayer and reading the word, we appreciate him more. And this is something we will spend our whole life doing and into eternity because he's infinite. So we'll, we'll never exhaust his glory and riches. And now I want us to go into a little exercise that we can practice. So for each of these seven um, titles, I have found a scripture that kind of makes it pop or highlights. So... We're going to read these verses together. So, so if you can ponder with me and reflect with me. So for Jesus the inheritor, Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Two, Jesus the creator. John 1, 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Three, radiance of God's glory. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, 
let light shine out of the darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Four, Jesus displays the Father. John 14, 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? <clears throat> Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Five, Jesus the Sustainer. Colossians 1, 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Six, Jesus, is sa Jesus saves. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18-19 For you know that it was not with per perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And finally, seven, Jesus has authority. Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. So let us close in prayer with that. Worship team, you could come forward. Oh, Jesus, we, we thank you for how you reveal who God is. And, and yeah, you're, you're so glorious and wonderful and magnificent. And while we do fall short at times, God, you, you still continue to love us and, and sustain us, God. So help us to, see, uh, through the Spirit, see you truly who you are so we can fall more in love with you. Because this... Is, is the life that, that brings true life, right? With, without you, without relationship with you, we, we are lost. So we thank you for your majesty and how you sit at the right hand. You reign and rule. You conquered sin and death, and you hold the world in your hands. You rise rulers to power, and you take kingdoms down, God. So we thank you for that, and, and we love you. Amen.